morning, everyone. My name is John Fairchild. I'm the interim pastor and elder here at Grace. And uh, <clears throat> we um, have just sung a great old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Now it's time to release the children to Grace Kids, and uh, away you can go. You can meet your volunteer person at the back door, and they will guide you to your class. Also, it's time to release Grace Junior Youth, I believe, as well. And uh, so we pray you'll have a good time in your class learning about following Jesus. The rest of us will be continuing here this morning on the subject of uh, service and serving, and volunteering, <clears throat> because, uh, partly because it's a very central thing to the Christian life and to discipleship, and also it's the time of year in the fall when we, when we get the church back up and running again after some uh, slower time through the summer, and, uh, and we're, we're getting our serving teams back online and, uh, and uh, uh, staffed with uh, volunteers and plugging all the gaps and uh, and so uh, there's, there's opportunity to do, to do that. But as I, as I talk about serving this morning, I do mean to talk about serving in church, but not just in church. Serving as a way of life in your home, uh, at the workplace, in the school where you go, in your neighborhood. We are to be Christ's servants wherever we are and wherever we go. And uh, so keep that in mind as we, uh, as we go forward this morning. <clears throat> I had a little note from uh, Becky Goodwin in the office, who is kind of our coordinator for all serving opportunities, and she wanted me to pass this on to you because last week we had uh, uh, kickoff Sunday and we had people signing up to serve on various teams. Becky was hoping for maybe 10 new signups, and she said we have 13 brand new volunteers spread out over several serving teams, so that's good. Uh, she said there were several people who came up to her and said something like, I can do absolutely anything on any team, and I'm happy to help. Just plug me in wherever you need me. Love it. That's great. Another person wants to know how to be trained to serve on every team in order that uh, if any team needs a helper on any given Sunday, they can help. Uh, a few remaining areas of need are um, as follows. The GK elementary class in the first service needs a volunteer. The GK elementary class in the second service needs one volunteer still. The nursery, uh, <coughs> I almost made a joke about combat zone, but uh, the nursery uh, in, the, in the second service needs two more volunteers. My wife Kathy serves in the nursery uh, quite a bit and uh, she loves it. It's a great place to meet people, meet parents and, uh, and care and serve for the little kids. Grace, Ju Grace Youth Junior, which meets on Tuesday nights here, need anywhere from one to three uh, new volunteers as well. So bear those in mind uh, as, we, as we continue forward. Uh, Kylie Galt leads our, our uh, Grace Youth, <coughs> and uh, every Thursday as I'm preparing the message, I send her a few discussion questions that she picks and chooses amongst uh, to... Uh, that she uses to have discussion in the J Grace Youth Junior, which meet right now as we're meeting here. And, uh, and one of the things I sent to her was to, uh, this week, and I'll share it with you as well, was to uh, kind of 
think over your own serving mentality and your own readiness to serve on a scale of one to five. Here's the scale. You can plug yourself in wherever it is. No hands need to be shown anywhere, of course. Number one on the scale, I hate serving, and I'll do anything I can to avoid it. <clears throat> Some of us might be there. Uh, number two on the scale, I see the need, uh, but I tend to hold back and let others do it. That might be some of us. Number three on the scale, I'm warming to the idea of serving and I'm willing to get more involved. Great. Number four, I have volunteered occasionally and I found it to be a positive experience. Great. Number five, I absolutely love serving others and I find myself looking for opportunities to do it more. So uh, you can rate yourself there. Are you number one who hates serving, love it, or somewhere in between? And, uh, and may God be helping us to grow in our serving heart. But back to our main question this morning. We had it last week, and we're going to probe deeper into it this week. Uh, how does the gospel create or foster or produce a mentality of serving amongst us? Because I really believe it does. The reason I'm asking that question is because uh, I want us to serve out of a deeper reason than just obligation or there's a gap to fill, or guilt, or something like that. We need to serve out of something deeper, and I think that the gospel of Christ, in all that it entails, needs to feed and, 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 and nurture our serving spirit in the church. And so we'll be talking about that this morning. What do I mean by the gospel? Uh, most of us think, well, the gospel, Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and rising from the dead. And that is true. That's the core of the gospel. But when I say gospel, which means good news, I mean something bigger and more inclusive. I mean the whole story of Jesus, everything from his pre-incarnate existence in heaven to his coming to earth as God in the form of man, born in the Bethlehem in the manger, his life, his life of service, humility, preaching, miracles, his death on the cross for us, our sins, his resurrection, evidence of his triumph in his mission, his victory over death, and his ascent. All of that is good news. All of that is the gospel. And all of that is to feed our serving impulse uh, as, as his people. <clears throat> How does that produce in us service that glorifies God? And I always mean when I talk about service, I mean service that glorifies God. Lots of people can serve for various reasons, but is there a glory to God that results from it? I'll give you six reasons quickly, and then we'll double back and we'll go through them in a little more detail. The first way that the gospel uh, produces service is that when we become a Christian, Christ's spirit, the Holy Spirit, comes to live inside every follower of Jesus. We'll come back to that in a moment. Number two, the gospel causes us to see things differently. That's important. Number three, the gospel makes serving an honor and a noble thing. Fourthly, the gospel transforms my motives for serving. Fifthly, the gospel changes my personal identity and consequently my behaviors. And sixthly, the gospel gives me a new purpose or mission in life. Back to the first point <clears throat> about the Holy Spirit coming to live inside a believer's life. As soon as a person repents of sin and trusts in Jesus as Savior and Lord, God places the Spirit of Christ in their life 
to help us follow Jesus and to begin to change us more and more into the likeness of Christ. A massive internal spiritual change is underway. It happens gradually and with our willingness and our obedience and our faith. The Apostle Paul described it in this iconic verse, and we can put up uh, slide number one here. In Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Notice those four words, Christ lives in me. That's not just a metaphor. That's true. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside every believer. And <clears throat> who is Christ other than the greatest servant who ever lived? Now lives in you. And wants to express himself through you, your body, your hands, your feet, your words, your attitudes, in service. Because he is the ultimate servant. Just as an illustration, <clears throat> remember a fellow named William Shakespeare a long time ago in England? Wrote a lot of plays that were bored us to tears in high school. Actually, they were great works of literature, though we might not have appreciated at the time. Could any one of you here write something on an equivalent par uh, that William Shakespeare wrote? Can you write like him? Answer, no. Suppose, this is just hypothetical, suppose that we could somehow get the spirit of William Shakespeare to inhabit your body. So now you're walking around and you look like you, but inside you something's different. You have the spirit of William Shakespeare inside you. And you sit down to write, and out of your writing hand would come words that were inspired by none other than William Shakespeare. You could write like him if he lived in you. Back to our verse, Christ now lives in me. I have been crucified with him. There's a new me and a new reality about me. And the greatest servant of all the universe lives in me. <clears throat> the spirit of the most humble, loving, God-glorifying servant who ever walked the earth lives in every Christian. This is the source and the basis of all of our serving serving that glorifies God. We have to learn to walk in the Spirit and live in the fullness of His Spirit and let Christ serve through us. The Gospel makes this possible. Number two, the Gospel causes me to see everything differently. It's like an aha moment, you know, we speak of those things. When, when Christ comes into my life and I repent of my sins, turn to Him, and let him now take the captain's chair, you might say, as I spoke of a few weeks ago, in my life, I see things differently. It's kind of, well, a, a couple of uh, everyday illustrations is that sometimes we're going through life and something happens and we begin to see everything differently. Uh, for those of you who ever have fallen in love somewhere in the past, maybe it's happening now, I don't know, but... Uh, but uh, when you fall in love, sometimes the whole world seems different, doesn't it? And, uh, <clears throat> and uh, you know, we, we, we envision the future differently. We envision ourselves differently. Our friends, we talk differently. Everything is, is, is rosy and happy and optimistic and, 
and great, whereas it might not have been yesterday, but it is today. Guys have been known to clean out their cars because she's going to be sitting there beside me uh, from now on. And, uh, and so, you know, uh, everything changes. We see the world differently. Or when, if you're a parent, do you remember when you had your first child and you brought that little bundle home with you? Everything you saw differently. You look across the road to the park over there with a ball diamond, and you don't just see a ball diamond or that you never even noticed anymore, but now someday your daughter or your son is going to be running the bases over there, and they're going to be a star. Or you look into your backyard out the kitchen window, and in this corner over here is going to be the, uh, the, 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 the play structure and the slide, and in this corner over here is going to be the trampoline where little baby is someday going to having fun. You begin to see things differently. When Christ comes into our life, we begin to see ourselves differently. We see God differently. We see people differently. We see situations differently. Before the Apostle Paul was the Apostle Paul, his name was Saul of Tarsus. And Saul saw everything a certain way before Christ. He saw Christ as a heretic, and he saw Christians as dangerous, and he was out to destroy them. He was on his way to Damascus one day on a mission to kill Christians or imprison them or get them to change their ways. And Christ met him on the road in a stunning moment. And everything from that point on was seen differently by Paul. In fact, in slide two, <clears throat> we have here a verse just describing it just a little bit <clears throat> because for, for three days after that encounter, Saul was blinded and then a Christian came and laid his hands on him and sort of recognized and brought, introduced him into the family and into the faith, you might say. And it says something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. Let me read it. Uh, Acts 9, 18, 19. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. They weren't scales. They were something like scales. What it was, we don't know. But it had blinded him. And when he opened his eyes, it says he could see again. <clears throat> he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And off he went, seeing everything differently. And now we see sometimes opportunities to serve our Lord or to serve people where we never, ever saw them before. The gospel does that in a person's life. Thirdly, the gospel makes serving an honor. <clears throat> Remember uh, the first point on our scale? I hate serving and do everything I can to avoid it. <laughs> Serving's not an honor for that person. I've been there, for sure. Still have my moments. Uh, service can be an inconvenience, something to be avoided, a necessary evil, like doing the dishes, you know, stuff like that. Because of the <clears throat> but because of the high value that Jesus placed on serving, and because he identified himself, as we saw last week, I am among you as the one who serves, all of a sudden, service is seen in a new way, and it becomes a noble thing to do. It becomes an honor. In the first chapter of John's Gospel, John the Baptist, who was not the writer of the gospel, a different John, John the Baptist, 
was baptizing people in the Jordan, and Jesus came to him on one day, and so he introduced Jesus to the crowd uh, by the Jordan River. <clears throat> he knew who Jesus was, but they didn't. And at one point, in order to explain the greatness of this one before him, John said in slide three, I baptize you with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. <clears throat> what is John saying here? John is saying that untying sandal straps was the job of very low servants. It was a dirty job. And John, but John saw even untying Jesus' sandal straps as such a high job that he felt unworthy to do it. That kind of service to him was now an honor and a noble thing to do. May we see service that way ourselves, whatever the task is. Just a little parenthesis here. I don't want to hear going forward any wives saying to me, John, in that sermon last week, now, because of what you said, my husband has been saying to me all week, Honey, doing the dishes is such a high honor, I'm not worthy to do them. <laughs> that would be twisting scripture. Just having some fun with you here. But uh, service should be an honor and a noble thing to do. <clears throat> Number four. The gospel of Jesus Christ transforms my motives for serving. Slide number five brings us back to John 13, which we looked at last week. John 13 was the story and the incident of where Jesus got up from the table and uh, washed his disciples' feet, uh, a striking example of humble service to his disciples. And then he shed, said, I did this, you should do it too. So let's just read a little bit of the introduction to John 13 again. It starts by saying it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. <clears throat> Jesus knew that the Father had put <clears throat> all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and the passage goes on to describe his act of service. What I'd like to see us here is the proximity between love and service. Earlier in the chapter, in, the, in this passage which we have before us, it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. In other words, no limit all the way, nothing held back in his love for his disciples and for every one of us. A couple of sentences later, it says, we see him getting up to serve. Service follows love as sure as day follows night. Love must be our motive, and the gospel gives us a new motive with which to serve. As we experience the love of God through the gospel, and we discover how much he loves us, even though we're not worthy, we begin to love other people, 
in a whole new way. People might say, why do you Christians love each other so much? The answer is written by John in 1 John. We love because he first loved us. Love gives us a new motive for serving. This past Monday night, <coughs> uh, been a busy day Monday. I uh, had appointments through the supper hour. Then we had Monday, Monday night prayer online, and, and uh, we prayed until about 8.30. And then it was all over, and I was shutting down my computer and, and just thinking to myself, ah, I'm done for the day. And I could hardly wait just to rest a little bit. And, and, uh, and there was a, uh, a knock at the door, and my daughter Bronwyn was there. Bronwyn has just acquired a new apartment, and she's been moving furniture in like, like, like who knows what. And, uh, and she said, Dad, I've got this desk I need to move into the apartment and a chair. Do you think you could help me? I said, I, I think I could, honey. When? Tonight? <laughs> Just for a moment, I was like, tonight? I can't tell you how much I love my daughter, Bronwyn. And for a moment, my flesh said, no! But... The Spirit of God in me, at least on this occasion, helped me. And I wanted to help her. And so I did. And we had fun. And it wasn't that hard at all. So there's a new motive that's inside all of us, and that is love. And may that love express itself in service. In a situation like that, with your children, in the church, serving all over the place. Let's learn to serve out of the motive of love. The love of Christ in us energizes and underlies and releases God-glorifying service through our lives. And the love of Christ is seen nowhere more clearly than in the gospel, in the life of Christ at the cross. And uh, let's let it drive and move our lives in service. Fifthly, slide number six. The gospel, when it takes hold in our lives, transforms my identity and my behaviors. Case in point, I've already spoken of the Apostle Paul, speak of him again. Remember, before he came to Christ, he was Saul of Tarsus. <coughs> and he describes his former life a little bit in Philippians chapter 3 as he's writing to the Philippians. And he describes himself and basically his core identity with uh, some of these types of phrases and words. First of all, he was not just an ordinary Israelite, a Jew, uh, who sort of knew he's Jew and had, knew he was a Jew and had a Jewish heritage. <coughs> he was, he says, a real purebred. Those are my words, not his, but that's what he was saying. He was a thoroughbred Jew. He had all of his papers, you might say, and he knew exactly from which tribe he descended, the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was a great guy back in the book of Genesis. Paul used to, used to call himself, when he was Saul, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, la creme de la creme. Not only that, he was a highly educated, spiritually trained Pharisee who prided himself on being the most committed member of the Jewish faith to the Jewish faith. He described his former self as righteous and a blameless keeper of the law of Moses. Hear the pride in his former identity. 
And then, says Paul, and then I met Jesus. Or better yet, he came to meet me on the road to Damascus, and everything changed. Now listen to him describe his identity as he introduces himself in some of his letters to the churches. As Paul would begin to write the letter to the Philippians or the Romans or the Corinthians, he would often describe himself and introduce himself and his core identity now that it has changed in the following way. Slide number seven has two or three of these examples. To the Philippian church, this is how he began his letter. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi together with the overseers and deacons. He didn't say to the church in Philippi, Paul, the Hebrew of Hebrews, the Pharisee of Pharisees, of the tribe of Benjamin. Nope, not anymore. The servant of Christ Jesus. To the church in Rome, he wrote, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. To the Corinthians in chapter 4, he wrote, This then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Servant of Christ, servant of Christ, servant of Christ. This was now the heart and soul of Paul's identity because of the transforming inward power of the gospel in his life, and it drove everything he did from that point onward. Coming to Christ is meant to transform us and transform our identity. Identity is a big thing nowadays, right? And everybody has their identity, but all identities must bow down to our new identity in Christ. He's our Lord, and we are his servants, and we live for him, and we serve accordingly. Number six, the gospel gives me a whole new purpose or mission in life. Let's pause to review for a minute here. First of all, the first point was that the gospel means the spirit of the greatest servant in the universe comes to live in me. Christ lives in me and serves through me. The second point was because of coming to Christ, I now see the world and everything differently. And it causes me to act differently towards people. Third point was the gospel makes serving a noble and an honorable thing to do. Not a low task, but a high privilege. Fourthly, we just looked at, um, the gospel changes my motives for serving and turns them into love. Instead of, instead of I, I have to, I now say I get to uh, serve other people. And uh, fifthly, we just looked at, the gospel changes my core identity. And out of that identity now is the identity of a servant of Christ. Not just Paul, who was a servant of Christ Jesus. We all are, uh, and it's our privilege to be so. Now here we are at the sixth point. The gospel gives me a whole new purpose or mission in life. I'm talking about my kids a lot this morning. Here's another one. Got a kid named Jason, uh, the world's nicest 33-year-old. <clears throat> About five years ago, Jason uh, went to a music festival um, called Blue Skies. You ever heard of it? It's down uh, kind of between Kingston and Ottawa, in the, near Perth, somewhere down there. That was a music, kind of like Hillside here at Guelph. And it was on the long weekend in, in August. And, and uh, he went to Blue Skies with a, with a buddy. When he came back, I was amazed. 
because there's a, there's a, there's a, and, and, and he was talking on and on about what he experienced at Blue Skies, because the big thing at Blue Skies is the environment and environmentalism, which is not a bad thing, and, uh, but he said, Dad, oh, it was amazing that, that the, all the people that were there, every one of us was, was, was just focused on, on the environment and basically saving the planet. And he said, everything we did had to do with saving the environment. The, the utensils that we used were, were what do you, how do you say that, De biodegradable or something? Uh, you know, they weren't, no plastic allowed on the whole grounds where the festival was. And everybody was talking about it all the time and, and encouraging each other to do better. And, and, and afterwards, we were all picking up the trash. We left the place absolutely clean. And uh, he said, it was just an amazing atmosphere this is amazing, my son talking like this. Now, it lasts about three days. But um, because, I don't mean that disparagingly, because we need to be reminded of our mission by one another all the time. The church's advantage is that we come together every week and we should be reminding each other every week of our mission. Our mission is to tell the world of the gospel of Christ and to help them follow Jesus called making disciples. And we should all be disciples and be following him. And, and this is our mission and our purpose, but it expresses itself in serving the purpose. Just as everything they did there at Blue Skies served their big purpose for the weekend, everything we do is part of serving our purpose as well. When the sense of mission is strong, there is a strong sense of service to help fulfill, fulfill that mission. Slide number eight, if we could, please, and the worship team can come back up now. What I'm going to do now is just read the last chapter, or part of the last chapter of Romans, Paul's great letter to the Roman church, where he describes the theology and the core doctrines of the gospel and how it affects our lives, etc. But as he gets to the last chapter, he's just naming person after person after person after person that he knows in Rome. I'll try to pronounce their names, you know, their Greek and Latin names and some Jewish names, and don't worry about my pronunciation. But, every, but you, you'll notice something as he, as, he, uh, as he goes down this list. Greet so-and-so, say hi to so-and-so. Oh, this was a wonderful person. And, uh, and he talks so often about their service. Although the word service doesn't occur, but the word hard work occur a lot. Let's read it. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant, well, there's servant right there, a servant of the church in Centria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a great help. You hear servant there? <laughs> She's been a great help to many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinatus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. <clears throat> Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Adronicus and Junius, my relatives who have been in prison with me. 
What story is there? I don't know, but maybe someday we'll find out. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, whom I love in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachus. Greet Apellus, tested and approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me also. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers with them. There's a story behind every one of those names, you know. I wish I knew it. You just know there is. Verse 15, greet Philogolus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. You can hear the shared purpose, the mission, the hard work, the service of the gospel, <clears throat> and it being expressed through Paul's loving greetings to his friends and fellow workers. Let's pray. Oh Lord, as we finish now these thoughts about serving, serving in our church, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, may we always remember we love because you first loved us. We are kind because you were first kind to us. We sacrifice because you first sacrificed for us. We persevere because you persevered for us all the way to the cross. And so we serve because you first served us. All glory and praise to you. Amen.